Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. We're going to look at 2 Peter today. I'm sorry, 1 Peter. We're going to eventually get to 2 Peter. I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning. Um, I think, and, and along exactly with what Martin shared with us, It's easy for us in life to get caught in pits. It's easy in those moments of just living life and going through the motions, which is not what God's called us to do, but that routine that we get caught in so easily that we discover that we are at times in various pits. And God's desire for us is to rise up above what we might say is suffering, (laughs) rise up above that tension in those moments and walk into the resources that he actually has for us. God's desire for us is never the pit. Can you imagine, as Martin was sharing with us, what what it was like for, for Jeremiah to be able to be brought up out of that pit and the sense that he had about himself whenever he was able to go and get cleansed through the water from everything that was in that pit? And then that new lease on life that he actually had from all of the muck, that mire, the the pitness being washed off of him so that he could then go about his life. And this is is what we're going to, to talk about this morning. There are times, though, there are times, though, in our lives that we get so caught up in these, what we would say are suffering moments that it paralyzes us in our faith. And I want you to hear this this morning. God's will for you is not to be paralyzed in your relationship with Him. As we sang this morning, I'm no longer a slave of fear. Throw me in a pit if you want to. Chop my arm off if you want to. Silence me if you think you can try. But I am not a slave to fear, despite what suffering that might come my way, despite what tension might come at us, in relationship with Jesus Christ, he redeems us from the pit or from the grave. And so as Peter is actually writing this letter to encourage followers of Jesus Christ, they are under great persecution There is great suffering that is actually taking place in the believers because of their faith. This is what they were doing. This is the extreme of what they were doing as Peter is actually writing to us. Nero would take some of the believers, and if they would not recant and say, I'm not going to follow Jesus, or I'm not going to believe in Jesus anymore, I'm not going to walk in this path of holiness that he has laid out, you know what they would do with the believers? They would bring them into the streets at night and they would set them on fire so that the believers would burn like lampposts illuminating the streets. 
You see, they did not see this as a pit. These believers saw this as a celebration of their faith. That because of their relationship with Jesus Christ, the world could not harm them. Yep, burn me if you want to, to illuminate the streets. Throw me in the pit if you want to. But I am not a slave of fear. I am a child of God. And so the option here for us is what are we going to get caught up in? Are you going to get caught up in the pit? Are you going to get caught up in the suffering? Are you going to get caught up in what other people may be doing to you or what somebody may be saying to you? Or are you going to get so caught up in your relationship with Jesus Christ that you're not going to be bound by the fear, you're not going to be bound by the pit, you're going to be so consumed with his presence that nothing, as Paul said, can separate you from the presence of God. So in, second, or in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter is directly addressing all of this stuff to the believers who were scared because, I mean, it's natural for us to be a little scared, a little bit fearful in this, maybe a little concerned that, hey, because I am in relationship with Christ and because I'm not going to go back on what he has spoken to me, there is an opportunity that my life is going to be lost. And in verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter Chapter 4, this is what Peter says. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. Now that sentence for me, as I read it and reflected on it for, for this morning, that sentence for me just totally blew my mind. Peter said, dear friends, do not be surprised at the suffering. Don't be surprised at the suffering. In the comfort of buildings like this, under the protection of our governing documents as a nation, in a country where we have experienced for almost 250 years religious freedom, this sentence doesn't make a lot of sense to us. But it did to the believers that Peter was writing to in the first century church. And for Peter to come to them and say, don't be surprised at what's going on in your life. While we have never experienced that level of suffering, they knew, and it was all too familiar to them. You see, these were the pits that they found themselves in. These were the risks that they ran in expressing their relationship with Christ and walking as his children. Peter said, don't be surprised at that. Don't be surprised. And then we'll see as he goes on. He also tells them, don't be alarmed at these things that are to come to you. Continuing in verse 12, he says, let me back up and start again. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted... Because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Amen. This tremendous suffering 
that was taking place here is a suffering that Peter was encouraging the believers with. So can you imagine what it was like to actually get Peter's letter? And when Peter says, don't be surprised at this, and then he says, but instead you have to rejoice in this. So let's think about this. Rejoice whenever you see someone that you love who is a child of God actually being burned because of their relationship with Christ to illuminate the streets. Peter says, you have to rejoice in this because, and here's the key, as we sang, I am a child of God. Peter says, you bear the name of Christ. But you know what Peter actually does in this? And I, and I hope that you caught this. Peter actually presents a different kind of suffering that's in this. Peter, in this short few verses here, in the middle of, or here at the end of 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter says there's two kinds of sufferings. And you need to catch the, the difference between these two types of sufferings. He says, when you are suffering for the name of Christ... As a child of God, not bound by fear, that type of suffering you actually rejoice in. But then in verse 13, or in verse 14 rather, there's a radical shift in what Peter says. He's talking about rejoicing because you're suffering for Christ. And then in verse 14 and 15, this is what Peter says. If you are insulted, um, suffering because the name of Christ... You're blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. If you suffer, if you suffer, so here is the different type of suffering. It should not be as a murderer or thief or of any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Peter is pointing out two different kinds of suffering. You can suffer for Christ or you can suffer because of sin in your life as a murderer, a thief, a meddler, Peter talks about that. The best way that I could illustrate this to you is what happened to me this morning. As I'm getting the girls up and they're saying, come on, we've got to get ready to church. I thought, I'll go ahead and I'll take our dog outside. We have a four-year-old uh, little Shih Tzu and he rules the house. And I didn't want to come home and, you know, him doing the potty dance after we got home, ready to go outside. I thought, I'm going to give him the opportunity to go out this morning. Our house, actually, we don't have a large backyard, and it actually backs up to a road and a sidewalk. And a lot of people will walk their dogs in the mornings along the sidewalk. And so I have got to where I open the, the, the blinds. Um, to our sliding glass door, and I look out to make sure that I don't see anybody on the sidewalk. So I look out, I don't see anybody on the sidewalk, and I think it's safe. He's not going to try to get over to the sidewalk to play with the other dogs that are there. So we go out to the backyard, and then we get out to the backyard. I'm telling him, go ahead, go potty, and then he does that stance. That's his alert stance, and he's like, I hear something on the other side of, of the bushes. There's somebody, there's somebody there's somebody on the sidewalk. And so I look. I don't see anybody on the sidewalk. I think we're clear. We weren't clear. He gets through the little uh, hole in the bushes, and he goes over to the sidewalk. It would be okay if there was only a sidewalk back there. But there's a big road where the cars don't drive the speed limit back there. And so it's dangerous for him to go back there. 
And so I take off to get the dog, and I'm telling him, no, get in the house. Get back in the house. And so I'm, he knows that he's in trouble, and he's looking up at me because he knows that he's in trouble, and he takes off to the house, but he didn't wait for me to open the sliding glass door. That's not funny. He hit the door. That's, that's, that's suffering for the little dog. You guys are cruel. <laughs> he hit the door just like that, and then he yelped, and then my heart was broken for the little dog. The suffering, the suffering that he had in that moment was suffering because he was disobedient. The suffering that he had in that moment was of his own disobedience that he was actually running from. In verse 15, Peter says, you can choose your suffering. Are you going to suffer because you are a child of God? And he says, in that suffering, you can rejoice in. Or are you going to suffer because of the sin in your life? Peter says, there's going to be suffering. You're going to experience pits in your life. You're going to experience trials. You're going to experience hard times. But if you, are re if you are suffering because of the sin in your life, then you are going to hit some doors, and it is going to hurt very bad. Or you can choose the freedom of suffering for Christ that is a suffering that you can then rejoice in. Here's the thing. Not all suffering is bad, and not all suffering is good. But you get to choose the suffering for which you are going to suffer. You can suffer because you're sin. And I believe that God leaves us with those consequences at times in our lives. If you want to choose this, if you want to choose to run away, and yet when you're told to come back and you don't look at the door is shut and you run smack dab into the door, then that's your own choice of suffering. God will leave you to the consequences of your sins oftentimes. And then we get mad at God because of the choices that we made. Peter says, no, no, you can't do that. You can't have your cake and eat it too. If you want your sin, then when the consequences come and you start suffering, then you are left to those consequences at time. But Peter says there's an alternative to that. And that alternative is walking in relationship with Christ that brings freedom and a suffering that causes us to rejoice in those times. So I looked up, well, what, is, what does it actually mean to rejoice? If we were to take the exact Webster's definition, the first two here, Webster tells us that this word rejoice is a verb. We're going to put some legs on this verb. We're going to shift it into action, and we are going to feel or show great joy or delight. So imagine the believers who were being burned like candles or lampposts. Peter is saying, I want you to feel or show great joy or delight because you know Jesus Christ you're not a slave to fear. You're not a slave to the flame. You instead are a child of God. So Peter would say, what I'm telling you to do, believers, I want you to cause joy to come into those moments. You see, when we're suffering for sin, there is no joy. Oh, you might have a moment of pleasure in the flesh, 
But there is no joy in that. And what Peter is saying, we've got to get past that type of suffering and walk into the suffering or the tension that causes joy, extreme joy and delight to come into those moments. Peter is saying, but there is a choice and the choice is up to you. And you have to make sure that you are suffering because of the name of Christ and not suffering because of the consequences of your sin. So how is it that we can actually do that? Peter says in verse 12. In verse 12, Peter says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial that you are suffering. As though something strange we're happening to. This is not strange. This is not strange at all. Peter says suffering is coming, so don't be surprised about it, and don't think it strange. What, what does it mean that we shouldn't be surprised, and we should not think it was actually strange to go through this? Reminds me of the words of Jesus Whenever he was actually preaching in Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil. Peter says, Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised about that. Don't think that all of that is actually strange. Because long before Peter talked about it, Jesus spoke about it. Rejoice. Huh. I wonder where Peter got the rejoicing that he wrote to the believers. It's directly from God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I want you to rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Rejoice. Martin told us this morning, that's what happened to Jeremiah. He was rejoicing. Throw me in the pit of sewer if you want to. Throw me in the muck and mire, but you can't hurt me because of the name of Christ. I can cause pain on myself because of my sin and the consequences of sin. I can cause the frustrations to come upon myself, but whenever I am suffering for Christ, you cannot do anything because I'm not a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Peter reminds us that we have to make sure that we don't buy into this false gospel that says whenever you walk in relationship with Christ, that nothing is going to harm you. Listen, that's a lie of the enemy. And the enemy lures people away whenever they believe that, man, when I am walking in relationship with Christ, nobody's going to be able to hurt me. There's never going to be any suffering. There's never going to be any hard times. And then when those hard times come, they give up because they think there must be something wrong with me because there's absolutely nothing wrong with Christ. You see, these are the lies of the enemy that we have to stop buying into and we have to start saying, you know what? I am going to suffer. I am going to go through hard times. And I believe that here in the United States of America, the church is going to come under attack more and more and more and more. You know why I believe that? Because I've read the book of Revelation and it happens. It doesn't matter what the Constitution says. It's going to happen. And so we have to be prepared for that and think of what are these hard times 
And am I going to be paralyzed by the suffering, or am I going to celebrate that I am in relationship with Christ? There is never a promise in the Scripture that we as God's people are going to escape trials and sufferings. It's just not there. But there is a promise that He will never forsake us. And there is a promise from God that He will never turn His back on us. And in these moments, He will be sufficient for all of us. So the choice of suffering is up to you. The choice of suffering. Is it because of sin? Is it because of the consequences and the poor decisions? Or am I going to find that suffering in Christ that brings the freedom from walking with Him? So I want to take this word suffering and I want to change it for just a minute. I want to take the word suffering out and I want to put in the word tension. Tension. The word tension. Because I think most of the time here in the United States, we don't experience this tension that Peter is writing to the believer, or this, this suffering that Peter is writing to the believers about. Instead, what I think we experience for the most part is just the tension of actually walking in relationship with Christ. I, I don't think it's really suffering. I think for us primarily, it's mostly tension. And I want to tell you this. It's normal to experience tension in life. That's very normal. Because we are not like the world. We have been set apart from the world. And we must have the discipline whenever these tensions in life come to ask God the question, what is the purpose of this tension that I actually have? I want you to catch the key word in this sentence that I put on the screen for you. It's purpose. I want you to hear this this morning because I believe that if we'll start looking at this in this way, it will set a lot of us free from the weight that we put on ourselves. Tension in life always has a purpose. It always has a purpose. And I believe that God allows tension in our life for His divine purpose. So it's normal to experience tension. And I believe that in the tension, God is actually at work in the tension. So I want to take you back to when I was a freshman in high school. Or actually, I just graduated from eighth grade, and I was going into high school. And I was in band in eighth grade. And when I was in band, I started playing one instrument, switched to a different instrument. And the band director was really encouraging those of us that were playing drums that we needed to keep on because he was down some drummers. And so as I was going into high school, I was thinking, man, I, I don't really want to play in band. And so I was teeter-tottering back and forth. Because one of the requirements to be in marching band in high school was for three weeks in the summertime, in the heat and no air blowing in southeast Missouri, 100 degree days, you had to go out on the practice field and you started in the morning and you worked until just afternoon working on putting together this marching with your instrument and putting on and preparing a halftime show. I wasn't sure I wanted to go through that suffering 
as an eighth grader. I'm going to be a freshman in high school. I don't want to go through all of this. I'd never marched with an instrument before. I'd only sat and performed a concert from a platform. Marching band was something that was new to me. So we get out onto the field. We're going through the field. And we're starting to say, okay, you're going to go here and you're going to go here. And it was a mess because I had a huge bass drum in front of me. And so I'm bending over like this so that I can see over the bass drum and trying to figure out where to go. And I I don't know how many people I hit with a bass drum. But it was actually a mess. And then finally we start learning it. We know where we've got to turn. We've got to do all of this. And I found a video on YouTube that I just want to show you. There's no sound to this. So this is what it's actually like if you're in a marching band. This is the view that you see. This, this is the Nittany, the Nittany Lions. They do an amazing halftime show. This is kind of what you actually see when you're on the field. You can't see where everybody's at. You don't see the design that's actually taking place. And you're doing everything you can to try to not run, a, run into the other person to make sure that you're actually in the place that you're going to be. The baton twirlers, the flag people, all of these people are running around you and you're just trying to stay in your lane and do your thing exactly the way the band directors told you to do. And then, as we go through this, and as we march through this, it doesn't make any sense to me. I go through my freshman year and I'm just, I'm just marching around the field. I know that I'm going to go to this hash mark. I'm going to turn. I'm going to do all of this. And then our band director, by the time I'm, I'm now out of ninth grade, I'm going into 10th grade, our band director realized that for a lot of us, it wasn't clicking. And then you know what he did? He went up to the top of the stands and he filmed it so we could actually see it. This is the Nittany Lions from the top of the stands. Now, you didn't see that when you were in the tension on the field. You didn't see the design as it was actually being made. And it doesn't make a lot of sense when you're standing on the 45-yard line on the second hash and you're just thinking, boy, I'm just standing here. I don't know what's actually going on. I don't want to run into anybody. And you didn't see this beautiful design and now the wheel gets turned into motion. And then you get to a certain point and you're like, okay, now we're all going to come in. We're going to make the shape of a football and we're going to... You don't see all of this in the tension of life. You don't get to see this when you're standing at the 45-yard line. But you know what? The tension is beautiful from heaven's point of view. When you're just standing here and you're just discovering the tension of balancing a checkbook and you're trying to figure out if there's going to be enough money to pay a car payment and to keep the lights on, in that tension, you don't get to see it from heaven's point of view. And it's just like being in a marching band. You're just standing here on your own 45-yard line trying to figure things out, and you're saying, God, I don't understand what this tension is all about. But you know what I told you? We have to ask God the question, what is the purpose of the tension. Whenever we're having trouble balancing the checkbook and paying the bills, what if we stepped back from that tension and we said, God, I've got some tension right now in my finances. 
What is the purpose of this tension? What is it that you're actually trying to tell me? You know what that's doing? That's getting off of the football field and getting up in the top of the stands so you can actually see what's going on. That's stepping out of the tension here in life and saying, God, I don't want to see it from the tension's point of view anymore. I want to see it instead from heaven's point of view. You see, tension sometimes from God is intentional. The tension is intentional. At our state minister's meeting, Ken Love said those couple of words, and it hit me. He said just a little bit about it, and then he went on talking about something else, and it hit me. Oh, my word. We as a church need to hear that. Whenever we're wrestling with a variety of different things and we think the sky is falling, the sky is falling, we may as well just give up and we may as well just go our separate ways. Listen, that's the wrong, that's the wrong perspective. Instead, we have to ask God, why is this tension here? What is your intentionality in this tension that I'm actually experiencing? You see, we have to, we have to walk through that in our own lives. We as leaders of Whitechapel Church, those of you that are elders and leaders in other ministries, those of you that are leaders at at, at Warner Christian Academy and and the leaders at our thrift store, we all have to wade through this and we have to ask God, why is it right now that we have this tension? What is the purpose of this tension? If the tension is intentional, then I'm going to be intentional back to the tension to make sure that I learn the purpose for which God has given the tension in the first place. But you know what the enemy wants us to believe? The enemy wants us to believe the lie that the tension makes me less of a Christian. The tension makes me less of a follower of Christ. No, no, no. I would say what Peter is saying to us in 2 Peter, or in 1 Peter, is the tension is a cause to rejoice because you are in Christ. He he was writing about suffering. He was writing about suffering. Some of us get so caught up in this, the tension that it causes us to suffer instead of rejoicing. There is an intentionality from God, from his point of view of the tension in our life. And he always uses it with the purpose of our life. So we have to seek the purpose and stop with all of this self-help stuff in life. If God is teaching us something in the tension of finances, or if God is teaching us something in the tension of our marriage, or if he's he's teaching us something in the tension of us being together as Whitechapel Church, or if he's teaching you um, something about the tension at your job, or those that he's placed around you, or your neighbor, whatever, we could go on and on and on and on and on with this. Then what we have to do is stop self-medicating to overcome that tension and start pressing in and listening to the Spirit of God in our lives. You think, well, how is it that you self-medicate? Well, if we're self-medicating in our finances, you know the easy thing to do is? Let's go out and put a Band-Aid on the problem and get some type of a payday loan and think that I'm going to be able to overcome because my problem is just I need a little bit more money. Well, listen, you'll never be able to have enough money So why don't we stop with the trying to find a band-aid in finances and ask God, what is the tension that you're actually teaching me about in this moment? What's the purpose of the tension? 
If you think, well, there's the, there's the tension that I'm having in my marriage. The problem is my spouse. All I've got to do is find a better spouse who's going to understand me, and then I'm going to have a good marriage. Well, did you ever stop to ask God what the purpose of the tension was in your marriage? And what was it that God was trying to do in you and in the other purpose, in the other person, so that in discovering his purpose, you can be the overcomer and have a cause to rejoice that Peter was actually writing about? It's, it's no secret that we as a church have experienced some hard, some hard years. Well, what if we as Whitechapel Church said, God, what was it that you were trying to teach us in that that tension so that we can chase the dreams that you've actually had for us? What is the tension that we might be experiencing right now? What is the purpose of this tension so that we can then move forward and have actual cause to rejoice in these tension moments? But you know what we do? Instead, in self-medicating, we turn to food. I just need some food. I'm going, to start, I'm going to eat my troubles away. Or we sit back and we turn on Netflix and we binge. Some of you, what's Netflix? We turn on television and we binge. Or we go out and we try to find some more money to fix the money problem that we're having. Or we decide, well, I've got all of these problems. I'm just going to drink my problems away. Or maybe we say, I've just got to have somebody that understands me. And so we pour out our lives on Facebook and Instagram. Listen, these are self-medicating measures that causes us to turn away from the tension because we think all I've got to have is a little relief. No, you don't need relief. You need to learn the reason that God caused the tension to be in your life in the first place. And when we will do that work, then... We will have cause to rejoice. Some of us have been wondering, why can't I rejoice? Why can't I ever be happy in my life? It's because you've never asked God the purpose of the tension to begin with. You've got to ask God the purpose of the tension. Because there is a purpose. And until you learn that, and until you press into Him, you will never have cause to rejoice. We're just going to run around like the video I showed from Hee Haw two weeks ago. Woe, woe is me. Woe is me, the sky is falling, and there is no hope for my life. Peter goes on, and he actually addresses this in a bigger way. If we were to get over to 2 Peter and look at his second letter, I put it here on the screen for you, in 2 Peter verse 1, chapter 3, this is what Peter says. And I want you to catch this, because it's important for us to get this in the tension moments of life. His divine power has given us all things. Isn't that amazing? His divine power has given us all things. Peter did not. Now, he just wrote about suffering. In his first letter towards the end, he just writes about what it actually means to suffer and rejoice in that suffering. And then at the beginning of his second letter, he says, God's divine power has given us all things. And we think, God, you haven't given me what I need in this moment. You haven't given me a spouse that understands me. You haven't allowed me to have enough moment or enough money in this moment in order to be able to live a, a successful life. You haven't given me the right spouse in this moment. You haven't placed me in the right church in this moment. My church doesn't have this that I actually need. Listen, those are lies from the enemy. 
Because Peter said, His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence. You, in the tension moments that you are experiencing right now, have everything that you need that pertain to life and godliness. So stop wrestling with yourself and start asking God the purpose of the tension that you are experiencing. Peter said, you've got everything that you need. Life and godliness. Everything for life and everything for godliness. It is in your reach. Listen, Jesus is sufficient for the tension that you are experiencing. And you have to stop listening to the enemy and start taking access to the divine power that he has given you to. So you can choose to get plugged into that divine power or you can say, God, I just don't know why I've got this tension. I just don't know why you're allowing this to happen to me. I just don't know why I'm going through this. I just don't think I'll ever be able to make it. Listen, you are having your own pity party and God is not in that pity party. You need to step out of your own party and step into the kingdom and get plugged into his divine power that has given you access to everything that pertains to life and godliness so the choice is for us are we going to suffer on our own are we going to suffer in our own sins as peter was writing about in first peter chapter 4 verse 15 are we going to find a suffering in the tension moments of life with christ that gives us cause to actually rejoice john macarthur in reading one of his books he said this too many christians too many Christians have tacitly acquiesced to the notion that our riches in Christ, including Scripture, prayer, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and all the other spiritual resources we find in Christ, simply are not adequate to meet people's real needs. Listen, I'm here to tell you that they are. They are here to meet your needs. And if you plug into his divine power, what you'll start to realize is that none of this world's sufferings compare to the divine riches that he has given to us in relationship with him. You have everything that you need as it pertains to life and godliness in Jesus Christ. There is no secret knowledge. There is no secret way. Jesus paved the way. He invited you into the way. And the choice is up to us. He didn't hide it from us. He's not playing hide and seek and we've got to go try to find it. It's there. It's like a buffet. All you got to do is step up, grab the plate, and start filling it up. Because you have access to all that you need. There is nothing hidden. There's nothing hidden for those of us who are in relationship with Jesus Christ. So how do you do it? How do you do it? I tell you every single week that I'm up here, you just have to go sit with him. That's it. That's it. It's not hard. You just have to go sit with him and ask the question, what do you want to pay somebody $150 an hour to ask them the question about the tension of your life? 
Now, there are, not, there are times in our lives where we need a counselor. And I'm not saying that counseling is wrong because we need other people. God has put us together so that iron sharpens iron because we need each other. But I'm saying if you're starting there and you're not starting with him, then you're missing it. God wants us to sit first with him, first with him, not the leading experts of the day. He wants us to sit first with him so that we can hear his voice and then respond to actually what it is that he wants for us. You have to first sit with him. And you have to be in the word. You have to be in the word. I get so frustrated when people say, why, why won't God speak to me? He has. It's Genesis to Revelation. He's spoken. So all you got to do is open it up and you've got to get in it and you've got to start asking God, what is the purpose? And I promise if you'll sit with him and if you'll open his word and you'll get into his word and you'll turn your listening ear to him, all of a sudden that you will discover that his tension that's intentional in your life will give you cause to rejoice. Pastor Jordan, would you come up for just a minute? I want to ask for your help. These are two guitars. His is a little prettier on the outside, but it's pretty much the same. There are strings, and these strings are what gives us beautiful music. Could you play just a chord? Adrian, would you turn him on so that way everybody will be able to hear? There we go. Just want you to wake up. There you go. Do you hear the beautiful music that comes from there? Now you're awake. You can hear the music that comes from there. This guitar, it's a guitar, it's not plugged in. That's okay. Because you're not going to hear any music from it. You know why? There's no tension on these strings. Did you catch that? There's no music coming from these strings because there's no tension on these strings. But when there's tension on a string, you can hear the music. So which do you want to be in relationship with Christ? Do you want to be just a bunch of clanging strings with no tension? Or do you want to have the tension from God that makes beautiful music and cause to rejoice in life. You see, the choice is up to us. And I think in this moment, the Holy Spirit is extending us an invitation to say, God, whatever the tension it is in my life, whatever tension you want in my life, you can take the strings of my life and you can tighten them as much as you want because I know when you're tightening, I'm not going to break. But instead, it's going to be just enough tension to make beautiful music and cause to rejoice. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.